Hello and welcome to Adventures with ADHD, where each light, each light, each week, I shed the spotlight on a fabulous ADHDer. Today I've got Nikki Butler with me. Thank you for coming, Nikki. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Great, I can't wait to get started. I really <laughs> can't. <either. laughs> and Nikki hasn't had the questions up front, so this is totally off the cuff. So sorry in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so Nikki, I'm just going to dive straight in with the questions, okay? Cool. So, hold, oh, I dropped my blue tack. Hold on. Nikki, where are you from and what do you do? So I'm from Alton in Hampshire and I, um, I'm guessing by what do I do, you mean what do I do for work? So uh, I'm a skin and scar specialist. I run my own business. And I am in my 11th year of being self-employed after wreaking absolute havoc in the corporate world for about 14 years. Wow. And what, what were you doing in the corporate world for 14 years? Uh, law. So um, I was in personal injury claims, medical negligence for the uh, best part of a decade. And then I was um, head of corporate contracts for um, a big telecoms company uh, and I look back on all of that time with much amusement now for all my managers that said it was very much a square peg in a round hole um lots of headaches for them yeah that is that's yeah. fascinating when you look back and you're like oh yeah so what what made you go self-employed um so so completely honestly like I I hated it so I'd spent a really long time in a corporate career I'd done my law degree, really felt like because my parents supported me. You, you know, I'm like, I'm 46. I was of a generation that it was like, choose your path. And I chose it and hated it. And to be honest with you, I kind of got to a point that I had a very difficult relationship with my manager in my last corporate job. And um, I remember driving home one day and thinking, I could drive my car off the road right now and end it, as in end all of that kind of misery. And it was never my intention to do it, but it really caught me. And I was like, shit, I need to do something now. I mean, I was working really long hours. I was incredibly burnt out and miserable. And I was 36 at the time, about 36. And um, I quit. So literally, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was qualified in lots of, um, so I was qualified in nutritional therapists, some, some beauty stuff, some um pt type things but i literally quit living on my own with my mortgage all the responsibilities but i just knew i had to get out because that was like a real breaking point for me and then um going self-employed was not really the intention it's just that i needed to make money after i'd quit because i had a mortgage and some other bills to pay um and i probably set up four businesses and shut them down before I set this one up about seven years ago and then I just found something that I loved and that's kind of evolved for me um not without its challenges I'm pretty haphazard um but yeah that's how I've ended up being self-employed nobody will employ me now <laughs> <laughs> who wants to be employed by someone else again <laughs> no, no, I don't I couldn't do it now um but it's really interesting since I've been, since I've had my kind of diagnosis that I can reflect back and think, God, why did I find that corporate life so challenging? And so like it literally sapped. I used to say I sold my soul to the devil for over, for over a decade. And I can see now why my managers used to get frustrated with me because I would dance to my own tune 
I would do things really effectively, but never in the way I was asked to do them. Didn't understand boundaries, led my own merry dance around the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So I can really look back and think, A, I made my own life quite hard for myself, and I made my manager's lives <laughs> pretty miserable. <laughs> I wouldn't put anyone else through it. I wouldn't go back to being employed because I wouldn't put anyone else through that now because um, being so long out of being an employee, I think I would, I'd be terrible as an employee now. It's a long time to go back, but you're not going back. You're going forward. I'm not going back, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you, you just alluded to diagnosis. So what, what diagnosis have you recently been given? Um, so I had a diagnosis of inattentive ADHD, um, which didn't come as a surprise to me. It was it was something that was actually mentioned by a couple of people close to me in my life. And and it sort of came a bit out of the blue because two people in the space of a week said, have you got ADHD, Nick? I was like, no. <laughs> and it was only when the second person said it, I'm like, oh, maybe I should make, oh, I'm going to have a little look at this. And I, and I did so much research, like really hyper-focused research. I was like, okay reached out to my GP who did the kind of the standard triage stuff which is like yep I'm going to refer you really long wait on the NHS so I ended up going through private diagnosis but through a recognized NHS partner um so had the inattentive ADHD diagnosis also um, anxiety disorder which in my opinion is a symptom of um you know it's it's not a separate diagnosis and autism and that that really took me by surprise. So I think because I'd researched so much about ADHD before I even asked for help, or even reached out to my GP, and I remember reading this amazing book, The Queen of Distraction, in which I learned to tidy my house, which until that point looked like I'd been burgled most of the time. I used to joke and say, I like it to like it's been burgled because then if somebody breaks in, they'll already think the place has been turned over. Um, but I learned to tidy my house up. I learned there's so much stuff. I'm like. It was that kind of euphoric, oh my God. But when the psychiatrist said to me, um, inattentive ADHD, anxiety disorder and autism, I remember thinking, no, no. And then since I've kind of gone back through and done a lot of research and reading and reflecting, it absolutely makes sense of my life. But I'm at that stage where it's, I'm really learning and really trying to kind of piece things together. Yeah, yeah, like you say, relearning, and it's it's almost a, a period of healing and and grief sometimes, you know. So it's it's a lot, isn't it? Especially as it was a surprise. At the yeah, time. and I think grief's a really a, a really good word to describe a lot of what I've been through because you know I'm forty six, I've never been married, I don't have children, I. You know, I can see how I've kept friendships and relationships really arm's length in order to kind of hide and maintain this super controlled and um, like lifestyle that I lead. And I have kind of gone through that grief process or I'm going through that grief process of like letting go of everything I believed about myself. I think I went I've gone through thinking I'm just really shit at adulting. I'm like. I always thought, how, what secret do other people know that I don't have? Like, they've got great friendships, they've got great relationships. And it, and he used to say it was like looking through a pane of glass and like thinking, what can't I see? What can't I get to? So I've, it's been a process of grieving and thinking, 
but also trying to let go of it because of like what would I what would have happened differently had I have known and the reality is I'm never I'm never going to know that um but forgiving myself for lots of things that I had really berated and been cruel to myself about you know you know like as you do things you think what have we done that for now I can be kinder and go okay I get it you know you needed to feel safe you needed to feel secure you needed routine and I am going through that process um but I'm trying to unlearn a lot of the things that I've put in place to basically mask and, and adapt and cope to society and a life that I've never really felt like I belong fit in. I'm trying to see all the positives and the excitement of thinking, okay, I can relearn who I really am and figure out how can I put together a life that supports me and makes me feel safe as I really am, not this version of me that I've created. And that's really difficult. Yeah, 100%. And it, it takes time and your, you know, your, your attitude towards it is, is really going to help you, you know, relearning, you know, and it's, it's, it's massive. But yeah. There's some bits that I think are absolutely freaking awesome though. Like I, I, and I've tried to really dig into this and it's something I feel really passionately about. It's like being like, ha like being autistic and having ADHD for me, I'm like, it makes me think in completely different ways to lots of people. Like why creativity or the things I've achieved, like the creativity, thinking outside the box, the way that I can do things differently. And then my like hyper focus and ability to go into things in so much more depth, like my business, like I'm a super geek on scar healing and skin. And I and I'm like, there's so and I am gonna swear, so I'm gonna apologize. I'm so fucked off with like everything being referred to as a disorder or like something is broken. I'm like, shit, you should be celebrating all the awesomeness and just kind of thinking about being proud of like all of those traits and those abilities that set you apart from other people. And I have a real issue with the fact that everything seems to be driven down this disorder route. Like, like there is something that is fundamentally wrong as opposed to embracing everybody's uniqueness and differences. Like, yeah, I, I, I feel so strongly about that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, cannot use the word well i use it sometimes but the word deficit the word disorder it just feels it's just oh. wrong isn't it you know yeah. um but yeah like you say celebrating the differences celebrate fo focus on those strengths yeah and help with the challenges they are there of course they are but yes the focus definitely yeah and the help is really i found getting help really difficult like I'm super grateful to be able to work with you on the coaching side of it because I I feel like and it's just been my personal experience that there isn't really help from the places that I would have expected it because it's all about putting people in a box and assuming everybody is the same and there isn't really there's no, I haven't experienced any real kindness or support. And in fact, a, a lot of judgment of, you know, you don't look autistic. You don't look like you've got ADHD. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, uh, you know, no understanding or acceptance of, of the, the diverse range of experiences that we all have as individuals. It's all this box ticking and it's, 
it, I think it, for me, I found it really hard as somebody, as a woman that's been diagnosed later in life, I'm not even finding much tolerance or understanding from other people, let alone knowing where to go for support. Wow. Yeah. And I remember back when 10 years ago or so, and I'm not telling people because of those responses, like you don't look autistic or you don't seem like that. It's like, it's a long way to go, isn't there, with, with understanding. And that's why we're here today, you know, to yeah. kind of that information out there and show people who we are. Yeah, and I think that's so important. Like, you know, I kind of think I've managed to have a successful corporate career, albeit that I left it, it was a success because I was so driven. So not even determined to have a career. I just kind of like found my way through it. And I've run, my, I'm in my 11th year of being self-employed. It's not like, you know, I can't achieve something. I haven't told a lot of people that I'm autistic and I've got ADHD. And the ones I have told, I just had that response of, you know, no, you're not. But the thing that really worries me and I, and actually fills me some form of sadness is I don't want the younger generation to kind of be overlooked and not have the support or, you know, I've got two young nieces and I'm like, oh my God, the thought of either them growing up thinking they're disordered or that there's, they're flawed or there's something wrong with them. That, for, in terms of like confidence and mental well-being, like will be like so detrimental. Like I think it's really important to have positive role models, positive language, celebrating like the the diverse skill set and and all of those amazing things that um, anybody um, that's neurodiverse can bring to any situation and any relationship. Like really want that to be a positive shift by. I guess increasing the amount of positive role models and changing people's perspectives on what does autism and ADHD look like and removing some of those media imposed assumptions. Yeah. And do you have any plans to kind of change that narrative in your future? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do. I feel really strongly about it. And I'm, and I guess I'm still, because I'm, I'm still learning myself. So I am writing kind of journaling in some, not, so my intention is to write a book, but I'm just at the moment capturing everything that I am experiencing feeling whilst it's raw. So, you know, right the way through to the roller coaster of emotions and the experiences that I'm having, but I really want to find a way to, change the way that people perceive and talk about neurodiversity to make it more not just inclusive but celebrated and you know what there's a really big part of me that thinks you know when they talk about neurodiverse as if it's neurotypical is pretty much everybody there's somewhere in my head that like i i believe that more people are neurodiverse than we could possibly imagine but because society has kind of created this disordered and dysfunctional type of um view of what it is people are like like me i'm 46 i didn't know so how many other women like me how many other people are hiding away because they don't want to have a label or they don't want to go through diagnosis and like what what if we're the what if we're the typicals what if there are more people with this awesome skills out there that just don't know it and are trying to like suffocate or fit into these societal boxes? Um, and I really want to do something to kind of 
give access to resources, to share positive stories, to change employers' mindsets around. If you employ this person, you, you know, I'm going to go off on a tangent now, but you know, when you think about people going for job interviews, and I've spoken to people like, oh my God, do, what do I do? Do I say I'm autistic? And I would, I would love it if people could turn up and go, I'm autistic. And what that brings to your organisation is this, 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 and this. This makes me way more suitable for the role than a neurotypical person because I have all of this skill set. And for employees to actually recruit neurodiverse employees, like, wouldn't that be amazing that it's something that's celebrated and appreciated? Um, and that's, I, I just think that would be amazing and empower people to embrace all of their all of their differences and as a society to be far more accepting without the need to keep labeling people that said i do think it's really important that for anybody that needs support that they have it whether that's in a workplace or in a personal environment you know i'm waiting for some support myself um from on the mental health side of things because it, it's really challenging so i just think that we've got this amazing opportunity to change the whole landscape and to make the future generations come through feeling really good about themselves and hearing different language i'd love to get rid of the disorders and the dysfunction words and that you know i just would yeah sorry complete complete tangent there but um hope that answers uh, and it's just it's just so lovely to hear you know because it's it's such an important part of of the story you know the language the the strengths everything everything so um what you've talked a bit what would you say your top oh no what are your personal strengths what Cre creativity i'd always stop because so not just like, you know, I love doing things like jewellery making or making clothes, stuff like that. But I think creative thinking is, has always been a strength of mine, whether that's been in corporate or my business or my hobbies, because I'm able to just think about things differently. I get ideas that sort of spark in my mind that can take me down like a little rabbit hole and enable me to do things differently and bring something different and valuable to what I do. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that's a strength. Yeah. Um, determination, uh, stroke hyper-focused. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, if I want to do something if I, and I will be determined to do it and it goes down this like intense, like I'm going to research it, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's all in until I get to what I want to achieve. Um, so I think that's a strength. And then I'm going to flip something that other people might see as a weakness to a strength. And that's impulsivity. Right. So I think that being impulsive, whilst it is challenging when I'm <laughs> online shopping at two in the morning for John Lewis, um, that's maybe, uh, it is what it is, I can return it. But I think being impulsive means that I try things that I wouldn't ordinarily try. Like I can see something, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna give that a go. And I'm kind of off when I'm doing it. And, and I think that that removes sometimes for me fear because I don't have, and I am, there's lots of things I'm fearful of, but I think when I have that impulsive kick, it's excitement, it's 
something new and I and, and now I'm kind of more aware of it I know that I can channel it in a way that helps me to perhaps experience things that if I didn't have that impulsivity fear might step in the way um yeah so but I don't know not everyone might agree that that's a strength but I like to view that as a strength exactly and that's that's it's how we think of these things and yeah. I've I've said to you before come to my comedy improv because yeah. it's where the impulsivity is just celebrated you know you just yeah. step in and say what you like but well within reason but you're you're absolutely right it and I've always found that I'm like how can I be so fearful and so um daredevilish at the same time <laughs> yeah. you know like bungee jumping in New Zealand yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, crazy. And I think that's ADHD and autism kind of at yeah. their best, you know? It's and I'm gonna can I add be really cheeky and add a fourth? Because I think oh. this one's really important. Like I am hugely empathetic. And the reason I want to mention that is because everything I read about clinically about particularly autism were like that lack of empathy. That is utter bullshit. I so I would I would I guess caveat that with there are things that I can have no empathy about and I think and, and really like I see other people affected I'm like eh. but if somebody is in pain or somebody is hurting or that there are so many situations and it could even be that it's oh my god anything about cruelty to animals or children or but even if I have a client with me and lots of my clients have trauma stories that's just that's just part of what I do. I have this immense amount of empathy that can sometimes reduce me to tears, that can cause me to ruminate about somebody else's emotions. And I can feel somebody can walk into my clinic or I can walk into a room and my emotions will change like boom, depending on what's going on for that person. And I find that sometimes I have to my emotions are so overwhelmed with empathy for another person. I have to find a way. So I do something called tethering where I, in my head say, that is not your emotion tether. And I'll imagine myself rooting into the floor and releasing the emotion. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because it's often the thing that, that people make the assumption and people have said it to me, you can't, you can't be autistic because you're like super empathetic. I'm like, Oh my god you so need to you've got so much to learn and i think that that's it it's that sometimes it's an overwhelm of emotion and empathy i have to find a way to shut it down or it will completely overtake me and i would be crying with clients i'd be crying in the street <laughs> uh, but I, yeah i think that's really important thank yeah and thank you so much for mentioning that i was just talking to a friend about that last night it's just it's just so untrue this lack of empathy thing um and like you say absorbing others emotions and i love that that tip you've got around tethering i think that can really help people as well i've i've not heard of it like yeah that. i read it in a in a i can't even what book i i read it about but yeah i just kind of when i feel it i just think i literally in my head i'm saying that's not your emotion give it back and then if you imagine that you've got like roots in the bottom of your feet and that they are you're tethering yourself to the earth and then i just let that emotion go down my body and out my feet and and kind of release it i find that really really helpful but even just that reminder of that is not your emotion 
can be incredibly powerful. Yes. Yeah, love it. Thank you. So um, have you got a funny or humorous story that you can relate now to your ADHD and autism? Yep. I've probably got I've probably got two things if I can share both. Uh, they're Please quite quick. One of them was um, and this is interesting because it's a, she's a really good friend of mine, a friend for a really long time. Her son is um, ADHD and autistic too. But I so I have obviously only recently shared with her my diagnosis. And and I said, if you never notice anything strange about me, she went, well, I've noticed that if we go shopping and there's a shop that, you know, I want to go into and you don't, you won't come with me. You just say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to that shop. Or if there's a film that I want to see at the cinema and you don't, you just say, no. She, whereas I would kind of consider, oh, well, we're going to the cinema as friends. That's the experience. <laughs> you were like, no. She said, but the weirdest thing you ever did she, was when you stayed at, I so I hate staying at other people's houses. I hate not having my routine. So she lived an hour away from me. We'd been out, I'd stayed at a house overnight. She got up at seven o'clock and I'd gone. And, and I was like, oh yeah, no, I left at six because I wanted to go home and have my breakfast at home and have my shower and have my routine. I didn't know that, I didn't have my diagnosis then. I just thought that's what people do. And she said, I have spent years thinking I pissed you off. And I was thinking, did we have an argument? What did, did I do something? I'm like, oh no, I just, <laughs> I wanted my shower, my breakfast, my routine. So I did that, and then this this only reflected on this the other day. So I have no idea if someone's playing with me. I have no idea if somebody's interested in me. But what I have, this might explain why 46, never been married. Um, and I can say this for every long-term boyfriend I've had. So um, if anyone's watching that I've been out with, sorry. Um, so you know that point when people say to you, oh my God, like, I really hope this lasts forever. Like, I'm so happy. I hope we stay together. I've realised that what neurotypical people do is they say, oh, me too. Not me. Not me. I say, mm, I can't promise you forever. Like, uh, I don't know whether my feelings will change or not. Or what I can do, I can promise you my, uh, my best intentions and my honesty. So if my feelings change, I will just tell you, don't ever ask me to marry you because I can't sign a bit of paper that says my feelings will never change because they might. Yeah. <laughs> and I reflect on that and I just think, my God, how did I... How have I ever had a boyfriend? Like, but it's that kind of realization of I'm so literal, I can't tell you what you want to hear to soften the experience. I'm like, no, no, no. Um, my feelings might change. I, I, I don't know when. I don't know if they will. But it's it. There's a pretty big chance it will. Oh my God, and that's that's that total. You're being honest, aren't you? Yeah, I am. But. <laughs> What I have learned, Susie, is that people in the early days of a relationship don't want your honesty. <laughs> they, they want to hear what they want, the reassurance of, oh my God, I'm always going to love you. I'm so happy. No, I am happy right now. I don't know if I'm always going to love you. <laughs> and then I would wonder, I mean, I, I mean, I won't even go into the type of people that I've picked for relationships, but I have picked relationships with people that live at least an hour away that are fairly self-absorbed, that have got no interest in my life. So they, they can't rock my routine. Like I can pretty much, I can nail that. I can, I can fake like not needing a routine, although I do still need a routine, like for like every other weekend and stuff. But yeah, that kind of like, oh my God, I'm, I haven't dated for ages. And I'm thinking, how will I go back to dating? In my head, I'm going to be going, oh, it's probably not going to go, it's probably not going to go anywhere. I don't know if I like you bad shoes. 
And I'm going to have, what do I do? I, <laughs> it's going to be a minefield. Yeah. I what guess you'll, you'll, you'll work it out when it happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those. It's just okay. oh, great. So last question then, what advice would you give to somebody that's newly diagnosed and may feel a bit lost or confused? Um, so my first bit of advice would be to work with you <laughs> because that, <laughs> seriously, because like, you know, I've said to you in our sessions, that has been so golden for me because to, one of the biggest struggles I found is that, so I don't know anybody else that is openly kind of a, a, a middle-aged woman that's autistic and has ADHD and trying to talk to other people that just don't get it or come back with that you you don't look autistic or like you've got ADHD is really difficult so I think finding somebody that you can trust that you can truly be yourself and be authentic with um and I think trying to figure out what's really important to you and that's what I'm going through at the moment like it's very much a roller coaster but so I think the the bit that so far in my journey, the bit that has been the most life changing and impacting for me has been my coaching sessions with you, because I know I can say, I can say whatever I like to you. There's no judgment and you get it like to act like to be able to tell stories like that. And for people to go, oh, my God, I do that all this. And you think, yeah. And like you made a comment to me last week, like so we had our coaching session yesterday. This, this was like golden for me. Like, and I said to you. Oh, did you want to move like Thursday night session onto Friday when we're doing the, this interview? And you went, no, I like to keep Fridays for fun stuff. <laughs> and I was just like, that, that right there is why this works because there was, I wasn't offended at all. I found it absolutely hilarious. Yeah. That is it. It's, there's no malice. There's no illiterate. You've just gone, no, Fridays are fun stuff. Like, and, and for you, coaching is work. Yeah. And, and I'm the same, like, you know, I give my mum a treatment on the weekend because I'm like, no, no, like, I don't, yeah. it's the same thing, it's my mum, but it's like, no, that weekends are for fun, weekends are for rest time. But yeah. that for me is just like, my, and we've had other moments like that, but those moments of you don't justify yourself, you don't have to explain it, you see it as a funny little shared moment. So my biggest bit of advice to somebody is find a Susie, find somebody yeah. that you can trust, that you, I always feel better when we've spoken. I can have the shittest week and be struggling and I, we have our sessions and I'm like, I feel restored and energised and like back on track on my journey because I've been totally honest and authentic in those moments and I trust you and so for anybody that is newly diagnosed, that is really struggling, finding other people that you can be like that with is, it's been golden, the most pivotal moment for me. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's, that's lovely to hear. Honestly, I'm just, and I was trying to explain, I was like, no, I don't mean our sessions aren't fun, because <laughs> we do sit here and have a laugh within our coaching. <laughs> But it's just like, yeah. you know, it's like a day off Friday. You yeah, know? No, exa and that's exactly what I knew you meant. But it was just, I'm just like, that right there is why it works. Because yeah. that's the sort of thing I do all the time. And then I would go away and ruminate about, oh my goodness, I've offended somebody. And I should I should now text them and over explain and over apologise for something that no. they might not even still be thinking about. But it is, uh, it's just, honestly, it's golden. 
thank you. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's, that's, I love our sessions and that's why I knew I had to have you on this, oh. on my TV show because you're very positive, very passionate. Um, and you know, it's, it's fantastic. So thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I didn't swear too much. I do swear quite a lot. Oh no, it's like only a couple people. You should just maybe put a little thing on there to say like remove kids or give them little earplugs if anyone's listening with children. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. You're welcome. Bye.